Howdy. Welcome to CCC Hardcore, the best place on the internet for stories about the California Conservation Corps. You think this generation has gone soft? Well, guess again. The CCC proves that wrong every day. Welcome to CCC Hardcore. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm your host, George Parker, former Backcountry Corps member, Del Norte crew leader, Delta C1. Last week was the 2019 Backcountry Trails debriefing in Camp Mather, California, outside Yosemite National Park, and I was there for that again this year. I uh, collected some interview stuff. and So as I get those interviews processed, we'll have some stories from the 2019 debriefing, but I've got to finish the t- posting interviews from the 2018 debriefing first. And I'll get to one of those later. I also have a cool podcast I want to tell you about, uh, but I'll tell you about that later towards the end of the show. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about debriefing from an alumni's point of view, uh, somebody who has been through the program, uh, but this is not their year for the, for the backcountry trails. Uh, before I get to that, I just want to say that the views expressed on this podcast represent those of the host and the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the California Conservation Corps or its sponsors. All right, debriefing from an alumni point of view. Uh, you know, going to Backcountry Trails debriefing as an alumni can be kind of weird uh, because it's not your own season. It's primarily intended as a celebration and a ceremony for the current year's members and sponsors. And it's a really cool thing that goes on. After my own debriefing in 1987, it never really occurred to me to go back to one. I mean, why would I? I mean, it's for each current year's members and sponsors, and I knew that I would feel weird going to one. Well, 29 years later, 2016, and I finally made it back to one. And I had been right. It was weird, but it was cool. Uh, There's a lot of reminiscing involved when an alum goes back to debriefing as memories come back about your own season and your own debriefing. Uh, So the first one I made it back for was in 2016. So this year was my fourth debriefing since, uh, since my own way back then. Normally, when I go down to these, I take I-5 south to Manteca and cup over to Yosemite on Highway 120. But this year, I had some business in Stockton on the way down. And when I finished my business, I headed east out of Stockton on Highway 4. And I couldn't remember the last time I had taken this route. It's been at least 25 years since I've been out that way on on 4. And as I went through the little hamlet of Farmington, I saw an old general store type building on the corner at the one stop sign in town. And I suddenly remembered stopping at this general store in 1987. Orientation then had been at the old Delta Center in downtown Stockton. Uh, Highway 4 to 120 was the quickest route to Yosemite uh, from Stockton. We'd been picked up by our new NPS sponsors. Kim Orr drove the van. Aaron Anders drove the six-pack pickup truck. Uh, Our C1, Diane Brown, drove her personal Toyota pickup with the Moose by 4 license plate. We hadn't been on the road very long, and we stopped there for drinks and snacks. And all that memory came back to me in the few moments that I was at that stop sign. And I had been listening to podcasts all the way down from Reading to Stockton. And at that stop sign, I I turned them off and drove up Highway 4 with just my thoughts and the road noise. I went up New Priest Grade. Uh, There's over 100 curves and hairpin turns as it climbs over 1,700 feet in less than 8 miles. And over to the right, you can see the Old Priest grade, which is worse. And Kim told us (laughs) stories about Old Priest grade as we made that climb. 
uh, drove through Groveland, uh, 1987. My backcountry year was a bad fire year. There was a lot of lightning caused fires in Yosemite National Park and Stanislaw National Forest. And the town of Groveland uh, could have burned down, but firefighters were able to stop the fires on the edge of town. I remember driving out at the end of the season and seeing all the signs along the highway. Thank you to the world's greatest firefighters. And then right before the official Yosemite National Park entrance, I turned north onto Evergreen Road. And I passed the cattle guard with a sign that says, Open Range, Watch for Livestock. It was right on this stretch of Evergreen Road on the van radio that I heard the Grateful Dead song, Touch of Gray, for the very first time. A little farther north, I looked to my right, and I could see Bald Mountain. Uh, 1987 was such a bad fire year that Yosemite had asked the Seas if they could use our trail crew for fire duty. Uh, we'd spent a few days on Bald Mountain, mopping up a fire that regular Yosemite fire crews had built a line around. We relieved that Yosemite, those Yosemite crews so that they could go attack another fire. The best part, we were transported to that fire on a Huey helicopter out of Crane Flat Fire Lookout. And then I drove past Evergreen Lodge, and my crew had eaten dinner there once while working those fires in 87. Now, the Evergreen had been off limits to coroners at debriefing because of the bar, and just like it, it still is. And that was a lot of memories, and I hadn't even arrived at Camp Mather yet. And then just past Evergreen Lodge, uh, you come to Camp Mather, and there you are. Camp Mather uh, was a, a camp built for con construction workers building the O'Shaughnessy Dam at Hetch Hetchy. And when the construction workers finished the dam, uh, the camp was turned over to the city of San Francisco. That's about 95 years ago. And the city of San Francisco operates it as a summer camp for people from the city. And by the end of September, by the time the backcountry trail season is done, the city of San Francisco is done using it for their camps. And so it's been the site for the backcountry debriefing uh, since well before 1987. Uh, I don't know exactly what the first year was. Uh, but the seas have been using Camp Mather for debriefing for, for a long time. And so as I drove into Camp Mather this time, uh, I noticed there was a van full of coroners already there. And uh, <laughs> one of the fun things about debriefing is that it's different. Something's going to be different there every year. Uh, this year, normally, uh, the only people there on the Sunday night before the debriefing are the paid backcountry staff and the volunteers who are going to be helping to process the core members through the exit process. Uh, the crews don't get normally get there until Monday. They'll come in at uh, specific times on Monday uh, to start their debriefing process. This season, though, one of the C1s had been injured, and so the projects coordinator for the backcountry program had to go out and fill in uh, the last couple of weeks of that season. And so in order to be at debriefing, for what she needed to do, she had to bring the crew in um, uh, uh, the, the night before they normally would have got there. Uh, so there's always something different. It keeps it interesting for everybody. So I pulled into camp, and there's a little bit of setup that needs to be done. Uh, cabins need to be assigned for people who are going to be coming, the crews and the sponsors and, and everybody. There's a little bit of work to be done uh, the Sunday night before, and there's a meal uh, provided by uh, some, some one of the volunteers or staff. Uh, we uh, cook it up real simple meal just for us right there. Um, and then Carlson lines everybody out on what we're going to be doing the next morning. We go over our roles and responsibilities for the next morning. And for the last few years, uh, my role and responsibility has been to wander around and get these interviews and take photos. 
this year we were a little bit short on volunteer staff, so I had to um, sit at a place in the table. I was part of the exit processing um, line. So I didn't get as many interviews this year as I have before, but that's okay. So Sunday night goes by Monday. Uh, the, 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 uh, the crews start rolling in about 9 o'clock, and you don't want 90 corners all rolling in at one time and then having to process everybody at the same time. So the crews are timed to come in kind of staggered. The first crew is due in at 9 o'clock. Uh, so that way we only have to process the 15 or so at a time before the next van comes in about 90 minutes or two hours later. And so that's what Monday is like a debriefing. Uh, crews are coming in. Uh, they're being processed. And I'll talk about uh, that process in a, in a later episode. And so that's the first day of debriefing. Second day of debriefing, uh, Tuesday, is the ceremony. Uh, starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, talk a little bit about the program. There's usually some sort of high-profile guest there. Um, uh, senior staff of the California Conservation Corps, uh, Bruce Saito, is usually there. Um, other people who have worked with the program. Uh, and then the rest of the day, uh, till about 3 o'clock, is dedicated to the crews and the Quarmbers. Uh, um, the C1 will get up and talk a little bit about their season, uh, maybe have the Quarmbers uh, say something a little bit about each of the Quarmbers, and then each crew will do a skit and, and get to blow off a little energy, have a little fun uh, with each other. So that's a really cool part of the day. And then Wednesday morning, everybody goes home and the season is over. Now, an interesting thing about the debriefing for me, it's, it's, a, it's been a really fun experience, um, especially that first year that I was there and the corners start rolling in. And there is definitely a process. Uh, the van, There's a van full of corners and there's a pickup truck full of gear uh, with corners in it. It pulls in. Carlson gives them a welcome greeting. They immediately have to start getting all their gear out of those trucks, all their personal gear, over to a cabin. And it's really interesting to see the change in the crew, each crew from the time I saw them at orientation, when they were still strangers to one another and starting to form into crews. And when we see them at debriefing, when every crew is uh, working like a, a well-oiled team, um, everybody knows their roles and responsibilities and the trucks are emptied, the gear is stowed in a minimum amount of time. And it's always been impressive to see. And, you know, the first time I was there in 2016, you know, the reminiscing was, man, I used to be that strong. I used to be that nimble and that fast. And <laughs> you start to feel your age a little bit when it's been 30 years since your own. And another interesting thing about debriefing for me is every season – at some point in those few days that we're there, I've been finding myself going into a funk. I'll get a headache, and I don't know why. I'll just start feeling pretty bad, and it, it affects my ability to talk with people, and I just have to kind of hide for a little while. And you know, I've gone through the different things that it could have been. You know, is it is it uh, the altitude? I, I don't think so, because I live at 1,000 feet. Camp Manor's at about three, so I don't think it's altitude. Um, is it dehydration? The first season or two, it might have been, because um, you got you have to make sure that you hydrate. It might have been the first season or two, but it hasn't been the last couple of seasons. Somebody suggested, well, maybe it's the food. Well, it's definitely not the food, because those backcountry cooks that are providing the food are top-notch, and they know what they're doing. So it hasn't been the food. 
And it just it finally occurred to me um, this last season what my issue might have been. And it has to do with my debriefing season back in 1987. Uh, we were in the backcountry until the day that we were supposed to show up to debriefing. We were only seven miles in out of Tuolumne Meadows. So on the Monday that we were supposed to report debriefing, well, all the other crews <laughs> had been out for a week or so in the front country, kind of like doing their wind-down time. Uh, we left our backcountry camp Monday morning. We hiked out the seven miles in Tuolumne Meadows, got in our van, and drove to Camp Mather, got into Camp Mather after sundown on that day that everybody was supposed to report. And our van was met by who was then the program director, um, Peter Lewis. And he stuck his head in the van. He said, George Parker, uh, you need to call your dad right away. It's something going on at home. You just go call him right now. Don't worry about your gear or anything. Go call home. So I called home, and I had a pretty good idea what it was going to be. I had found out during the season uh, that my mom had cancer. Uh, she had two tumors. She had one in a sinus and one in a lung. She hadn't been doing very well. And I had even considered you know, ending my backcountry season right there. I was going to come home and uh, do whatever I needed to do for the family. But my mom had always been my biggest cheerleader. She was, had always been the person that encouraged me to do the things in my life that culminated in the Backcountry Trails program. And she heard me even considering quitting what I was doing and coming home. And she said, no way, no how. You started that, you finish it. You go back and you finish that season. So that's what I did. So when I got uh, the message to call home, I knew what it was going to be about. So I called home, talked to my dad, and uh, my mom had uh, slipped away a little bit. She was still there, uh, but she was just hanging on. Um, they, didn't exp they, they weren't sure if she had two hours left or two weeks. It was that close to the end. And I asked my dad if he needed me to come home. I was absolutely certain that the CCC would get me to Stockton that night if they needed to, if I needed to get home. And so my dad said, well, how much do you have left to do? And I said, uh, we've got the debriefing program tomorrow, and we'll be leaving Wednesday morning. I'll be in Stockton at the bus station on Wednesday morning. So my dad told me, go ahead, finish it up, and uh, we'll call you if anything, uh, if, if any, anything takes a turn for the worse. So I kind of had that hanging over my head through my entire debriefing back in 87. Um, I found myself a little touchier than I normally would have been, um, a little bit shorter tempered, um, had fun, had some good times, uh, but I just kind of had that hanging over my head. Wednesday morning came, we loaded up in the vans, we said our goodbyes to everybody, uh, drove into Stockton, got off at the bus station, called home to let my dad know that I was there to come and pick me up. And I found out that my uh, mom had just passed away that morning, less than an hour before. And so that's how my backcountry season ended in 1987. Um, and I've been through some counseling since then. And it's been quite a few years since I've been to counseling, uh, but I did learn some valuable things when I did the counseling about how the human mind works and how emotions worked. And so I picked up some tools that have come in handy down through the years. But it was just this last year, as I was sitting there at a table thinking um, and just wondering if those two incidents somehow have still been impacting me enough that um, that's somehow manifesting 
just emotions from that are somehow still manifesting themselves at debriefing, and it could be. And hopefully, um, by acknowledging it and realizing what's going on, um, I'll be able to manage it better in the future. Um, and my whole point for telling this story, you know, I'm, I don't like putting myself front and center. <laughs> uh, this has been kind of hard to talk about. Uh, fortunately, it's just me and the microphone. It's not me in a room full of people. Um, but the whole premise of this CCC Hardcore that I'm doing is that every core member has a story that deserves to be told. Um, and I was a core member, and so that means if I'm going to be doing this right, that means my story too. And so I just wanted to put that out there on the table um, to encourage anybody listening to this, or if you know anybody who's ever been affiliated with the CCC program, Go ahead and contact me. We want to tell your stories. I want to hear your stories um, because every core member has a story that deserves to be told. And we do want to hear your story. If you are ever in the California Conservation Corps or if you are ever a staff member in the Seas or if you are ever a sponsor that worked with the Seas and have stories that you want to tell about uh, the California Conservation Corps, stuff that you did in it, stuff you experienced, um, we want to hear from you. There's several different ways that you can contact me to do that. You can send me an email at george at ccchardcore.com. Uh, it's pretty simple. You can also call me at 530-410-4683. Uh, pretty rural, so that's going to go to the voicemail. Make sure that you leave a message with your name, how you're affiliated with the CCC, and I will get back to you. There's also a CCC Hardcore Facebook page. Uh, you can send me a private message on Facebook, or you can comment on the story that uh, posts at Facebook. Um, there are a lot of different ways that you can get to me, and I want to help you tell your story. If you like what you're hearing with these stories, any story that you've heard on CCC Hardcore, feel free to comment. Uh, let's make this an interactive thing. If you're reading the story on the blog or if you've come to the podcast on the blog, leave a comment. Scroll all the way down to the page that that story is on and it'll say leave a reply. Go ahead and leave a comment. Uh, on the Facebook page, if you're on Facebook, you already know how to leave a comment. Um, let's start talking about this. I'm thinking about... Uh, starting a Facebook group uh, to make it easier for people to discuss stuff that we might talk about on CCC Hardcore. I uh, haven't done that yet. It would be some more time i got to spend on it, but uh, I think that's going to be coming up. Later on in this episode, I'm going to be talking about a podcast I've discovered that I think people who like CCC Hardcore might like as well, uh, Cascade Hiker Podcast, and I will tell you more about that after the following interview from the 2018 Backcountry Briefing. So I'm talking with Dalian Gaynor. <clears throat> and you are from? Wairika, California. Okay. Originally, okay. I came from Southern Oregon, actually, though. So. Okay. What were you doing before the program? Uh, prior to the program, prior to the backcountry program, 
the day before I came to the backcountry, I had just completed a 12-month inpatient rehabilitation program called the Adult and Teen Challenge. It's a faith-based rehab. Um, so today I am about 17 months clean and sober off drugs right and alcohol. Right on. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Right on. And so how was the application process? Um, the application process was actually a little tough because I had to submit a request form in the uh, rehab program program that I was in to actually use a computer and uh, actually go forth and apply. And at first they were like, nope, you can't do this. You know, I was about to graduate the program in six months. And they're like, no, we like for you guys to wait like three months before you graduate. So I had to wait two months, and then I had to fill out request forms to be able to use a computer, use the internet, use phones, mm. all those things. And then I had to, um, yeah. So it was a little tough. Uh, it wasn't as easy as it could have been, but so you yes. had to work a little bit to get there. Yeah, which it was totally worth it. But cool. yeah, a lot of paperwork and stuff right like on. that. Um, so where did you work at this season? I know Kings Canyon we're at in Kings Canyon. Um, so first we were at uh, the Lewis Creek Camp. So we did a lot of front country work, uh, doing maintenance. Uh, we did a reroute in an area called Comb Creek. And then we moved over to our Junction Meadows site. Uh, we were there for a few months. Uh, we did some rock projects there, some maintenance there as well. Um, some crews did log outs. I you know, got my hands on a lot of rock work there. And then we moved from Junction Meadow over to Charlotte. And then we were on like projects that whole time. Um, so there was a crew that did a reroute on the PCT. I did a lot of, uh, I, you know, put in multiple steps in a section of the PCT. Um, and that was our final work site was at Charlotte. All right. Um, so what was the experience like for you? Uh, the experience was super tough. Uh, I came into the backcountry trails program expecting there to be, um, a lot of quote unquote, like, um, I don't want to curse, uh, a lot of really hard workers, mm -hmm. and that wasn't the case. Um, thank God that the Backcountry Trails program is an inclusive program, um, and it's not like you're working on a crew of a bunch of uh, firefighters. It's, it's, it's such a diverse crew, so that was really tough for me. Um, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be all really crazy, gung-ho kind of dudes, and it wasn't the case, so that really pushed me outside of my comfort zone mm -hmm. and allowed me to learn about community. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what was the favorite project you work on? I'd say my favorite project um, was probably the last one that I was on um, when we were putting in some steps. There would be like huge steps on the trail of the PCT. So I had to start from the bottom, uh, you know, a few yards down and build up steps to make that step smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, but during that time, I actually got to, to uh, meet this couple that was from Biola University, a Christian university, and uh, talk to them, which was super encouraging. Some of the people that I met, you know, from Scotland, or I met a pilot for an Apache H-60 that was out of the Air Force. Um, so, you know, I think being, you know, the work, the rock work was really cool too, but the people that I got to meet on the trail, that was one of my favorite things. And a lot, you know, it happened a lot on the PCT. So. Right. It's, it's a pretty active trail. Yes. <laughs> a lot of JM tiers too, yeah. ripping around there. Yeah. So. Um, what kind of weekend stuff did you do? What kind of recreational hikes did you do? Um, you know, I was with a, a, a group of four. We called ourselves for a while 556 five, Outlaw. Oh, yeah. Usually, like, our, our call sign on the radio was 556 five, India. Uh, there was a uh, SAR thing one time and me and the boys all got packed up and ready. We didn't get called out on the SAR, but we were kind of there. Um, so anyways, we would do some weekends. I think that our, we did a 40 mile plus weekend out to a spot called Bench Lake, um, on the, uh, right off the JMT. 
Um, so we went to an area called like Reflection. So we usually did some big mile weekends, but sometimes we would just get to a lake and just chill out. Um, so it was just really cool rallying with the guys. That okay. was my favorite thing about the weekends. That was my favorite thing about the program was the weekends. All right. Yes. Cool. I think you already asked you guys asked what was the hardest part of the program for you. I think you already answered that. Yeah, I mean, once again, just it was it was really tough for me. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a list of questions that I just filled out earlier, but it was really tough for me um, to be around a bunch of people that you know I you know I felt like a, you know they weren't like the hardest workers or whatever. And I was like, what the heck? This is a backcountry program, like backcountry trails program, like. You know, I, I, I figured not everyone gets into this. Like, there's going to be some real deal people here. And, uh, you know, even though that wasn't the case, it was just, it was it was crazy because it really pushed community. Mm-hmm. You know, the Backcountry Trails program is a work program, but it's not all about work. It is about community because mm-hmm. you live with those people for five months doing everything together. Yeah. So, yeah. Did everybody grow? Um, I think it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And I know tremendously that I myself personally grew. Uh, some people can, you know, be reclusive or reserve. And I was that way a little bit too. You know, I found the guys that I, I want to roll with. And I did that too. But I really tried to open myself up to other people mm-hmm. that were kind of willing to uh, do the same. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, any words of wisdom for any formers, anybody else that might want to apply for the program after that, after you? Um, you know, if you, if you, if you feel like, uh, doing a big weekend with some, with some other core members, some of your buddies, go for it. If there's something that you don't want to do, but you know, you should do it. Like hanging out with the people that you usually wouldn't hang out with, go for it. Uh, uh, take, you know, take the chance that you have in the program of, of backcountry and make it last a lifetime because those memories, those friendships uh, are something to cherish and something that yeah. you can develop if you put the work into it. Yeah, yeah. so go for it. Okay. That was Dalian Gaynor with the 2018 Kings Canyon crew. And it sounded like Dalian had a pretty intense season. Um, having just come out of rehab, um, looking forward to a bunch of hard work. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but uh, backcountry corners do take a sobriety pledge at the beginning of the season. Um, the, the goal is to get through the season and just experience everything unfiltered, uh, just through your eyes and your ears and your five senses and in an unaltered state. Uh, So that's a pretty good place to be for people who are maybe trying to get away from some bad habits. Dalian talked about meeting people from all kinds of places all over the world, and that's true, especially on on a busy trail like the John Muir Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. You're going to meet people from all over the world, and that's a a pretty cool opportunity. One of the things that I wanted to touch on in uh, Dalian's um, interview there uh, he talked about expecting hard workers and not finding the hard workers that he expected to find on a backcountry trail crew. Well, let me say first off um, that nobody is going to get through a backcountry trails program who is a slacker. If you're a slacker, you're going to wash out. You're just not going to make it. So uh, by the time you get to the briefing, there are no slackers left, and there usually aren't very many of those. And when you put together, you know, 15 to 17 people, um, when you assemble a group of people that size, 
some of them who have interviewed over the internet, you're going to get different levels of physical capability. You're going to get different levels of uh, work that people can actually put out. Um, and so some people are going to be stronger than others. Some people are going to be faster than others. And that's just the way it goes. And an important thing to remember is that if you make it through a backcountry season, if you have made it all the way to debriefing, you have risen to the challenge that your supervisor set for you. The supervisors identify people, their strengths, the places where they need, uh, need some improvement. And by the end of the season, if you successfully make it through the season, you are going to be stronger you're going to be faster, you're going to have more endurance. Um, one of the problems that can happen is when you start making comparisons to the other people on the crew, and this, this, this can be a problem. This can get in your head and mess with your head a little bit. Um, say like you're one of the slowest hikers on the crew. As the season progresses, you are going to get faster. But you know what? Those fast people on the crew that were ahead of you at the beginning of the season – they're getting faster too. So you might not gain ground on the people that were ahead of you at the beginning of the season, but I guarantee that you're going to grow and you're going to get better during that season. And you're going to be faster at the end of the season than you were at the beginning. You're going to be stronger at the end of the season than you were at the beginning. And that's just the way it is. And if you started the season out strong, um, you might be frustrated a little bit by people who aren't as strong as you or maybe who aren't as fast as you are. And at the end of the season, you're faster, you're stronger. You still might be um, kind of discouraged by somebody that you see as not as strong as you, not as fast as you, not working as hard as you. Um, but it's all a matter of perspective. And, you know, this is probably the one interview that I've given the most thought about in the editing process. Um, because eh, it didn't sound like Dalian might have been giving everybody a fair shake there. But you know what? Every crew has its personalities. Every crew has its own dynamics of how people interact. And, you know, I, I had thought about editing out some of that stuff that Dalian had said, but I really didn't want to because, you know what? That's Dalian's opinion. That's how he feels about it. And so that's what I want to capture. I want to capture reality. Um, even though that sounded a little bit harsh. And actually, I talked to a few other people from the Kings Canyon crew. And the general feeling I got was like, you know what? They they didn't expect anything else from Dalian's interview. That's who Dalian is. And that was his, that was where he fit in on the crew. And so he, he was an integral part of the 2018 Kings Canyon crew. Um, and you've heard it said time after time and interview after interview that the hardest part of the Backcountry Trails program is personal interaction uh, with the other people on your crew. And some people are more successful at it than others. Some people can, can grow a lot more than others. And you're going to get people on the crew that you don't see eye to eye with. And you're, you're going to have to learn how to work that out. And it, it, it sounds like... Um, even from what Dalian said, from other people I talked to on the Kings Canyon crew, is that everybody worked everything out, and everybody was cool with each other at the end of the season, and that's just the dynamics of that 2018 Kings Canyon crew. And one thing that I hope that you're seeing uh, from these interviews is that there, that there, there is no such thing as a cookie-cutter backcountry corner. Um, everybody comes up through it with different experiences, 
People come through it with different perspectives, uh, and that's what makes the program so great. And that's almost it for this episode of CCC Hardcore. Uh, Before we close out today, uh, I wanted to start something new uh, and introduce you guys to some things that I come across that are pretty cool that would be of interest to people who would listen to CCC Hardcore. One of those things is another podcast that I found. Uh, The podcast is called Cascade Hiker Podcast. Um, The host is Rudy Getzik. And he runs this podcast out of Washington State. And his goal is to inspire you to get out on the trail, to get up off that couch and to get outside. And I think that that goal would resonate with a lot of people who would listen to CCC Hardcore, especially former Corps members. And, you know, Rudy gets our program. He's he's talked to a former Corps member before, um, a former Backcountry Corps member and usual cook for the Trinity crew, Kelly Kate Warren. He's interviewed Kelly Kate a a couple of times. And so he gets what we're trying to do. And uh, He's good people. And so if you get a chance, get over there and check out uh, Cascade Hiker Podcast. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to have a link going to a specific episode of his. It's not going to be the most current episode, but it's going to be episode 166, I think it is. And it is an interview with Bobby Walters uh, that he did before she set out to hike the Tahoe Rim Trail. And her goal was to, you know, through hike the entire Rim Trail. And I'm going to put the link to that episode specifically because I know that there are corners who have worked that Tahoe Rim Trail. Uh, probably from Tahoe Center. Uh, shout out to Mark Hansen and all the corpies and staff over there at Tahoe. So that's the link that I'm going to put up, but I'm, I'm sure that you'll you'll really appreciate uh, Rudy Rudy's show, uh, Cascade Hiker Podcast. And the easiest place to find those show notes uh, with the links to Cascade Hiker Podcast and to uh, links to some other things that I've talked about is at the CCC Hardcore blog at uh, ccchardcore.com. Again, I invite you to leave comments at the blog or at the Facebook page. Uh, if you've got a CCC story that you want to share, that if you want people to know about, give me a call, 530-410-4683. Leave a message and I'll get back to you. Or send me an email uh, to george at cchardcore.com. Our next podcast, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the new Delta Center. I stopped by the new Delta Center on the way back from debriefing and I got to chat with Marie Mahares, who is the district director for um, the, the Delta District of the CCC. And I got a tour of the facility and it was pretty cool. Um, I think you're going to like it. Um, and we will be doing more backcountry debriefing interviews. We had a couple of sources for the music that you heard in this podcast, Uh, the opening music, the closing music, and some of the turnaround music on the inside uh, is uh, from the Tall Pines, uh, used with their uh, generous permission. And the fiddle and the mandolin that you heard as the turnaround music for the Backcountry interview uh, was music recorded live at the 2018 Backcountry Debriefing. So that'll wrap up this episode of CCC Hardcore. Uh, Be sure to subscribe, uh, however it was you got here, uh, through Podbean or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, However it was you found us, you can subscribe to us and never miss an episode. So until the next episode, hey, Bob, don't worry about it. You got this. (laughs) 